2: had to happen at some point. We had our first World Cup washout. Pakistan's match against Sri Lanka at Bristol succumbed to Storm Miguel, the game abandoned without a ball being bowled and the sides taking a point apiece. But do not fear, we don't do washouts here at Wisden. We'll be looking ahead to England's match against Bangladesh at Cardiff. The good news is the weather forecast looks okay for that one. Uh, And discussing the best and worst of what we've seen at the World Cup so far, from slippery spells to inexplicable shots and much more besides... Welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Daily Podcast, in partnership with Travel Bag, creating holidays packed full of memories since 1979. I'm your host, Joe Harmon. I'm joined, of course, by Phil Walker, Editor-in-Chief of Wisdom Cricket Monthly.
0: Yeah, emphasis on, of course. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm still here, Joe. Very much alive and kicking.
2: And for his first appearance on the show, Rob Johnston, England Cricket correspondent for Crick Buzz. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Cheers, Rob. Um, Rob, this might seem like a bit of a hospital pass, but it's going to be good, I promise. Better than good. Um, how have you been enjoying the tournament so far?
1: Yeah, it's been great so far. I've been to three matches uh, uh, myself and watched uh, a lot. I think it's been it's been good. It's been um, it's been some some really good games, some average games as well, but um, some good cricket. And yeah, it's been it's been a good start, a good first week.
2: Let's start very very briefly by perhaps talking about the repercussions of what this washout might mean further down the tournament, Phil. Bad news for Pakistan after that brilliant win against England. This is a match they'd have expected to win and now they've got to split the points.
0: Yeah, indeed. I think, I think any side that has a, has a washout against Sri Lanka will be kicking themselves. Um, you know, they are many people's wooden spoonists alongside probably Afghanistan. And Pakistan obviously would have been feeling pretty buoyant after what happened a few days ago. So... So for them to be staring at the rain today would have been a bit of a blow. But then the flip side of that is that Sri Lanka might say, well, hold on a minute. You know, we turned around the losing position against Afghanistan. Um, We scrapped for our lives and we won that as well. And already... Kind of stirringly, the World Cup has confirmed that, that you can't really predict from one day to the next what's going to happen. So I would say it's, it's slightly, slightly more, more on Pakistan, but um, Sri Lanka will also have felt like they wanted to get out there as well. I mean, Pakistan would have gone into that match fancying it, which would have probably meant that they'd have lost by six wickets. Well, Rob,
2: having, you were at Trent Bridge for Pakistan's first game against West Indies when they were completely blown away. Uh, you, you can testify that Pakistan on their day can be, can be pretty awful.
1: Yeah, and, and to be honest, if you'd have said to me after that game that, that they'd go and turn over England a few days later, I just wouldn't have believed it. They were absolutely abject against West Indies with the bat. Um, you know, they were just reckless, they looked all over the shop and that was supposed to be the area of their team that that was the reliable area. So um, yeah, huge turnaround. But I think like Phil says, I think they'd have expected to to win today. Um, so that would be disappointing from them. But, um, you know, nobody, Safrez, I think, just said after the, after the game actually today, he said that nobody will fancy playing us. And, and he's right, nobody will fancy playing Pakistan. You might smash them and, and win easy or you, you might get
0: turned over like England did. It's funny, you you bang on there, but a lot of captains are saying very similar things. It's almost like no one really wants to play anyone. It's just one grand standoff at the moment, because all teams have threats, all teams uh, have that potential to to turn a result around. Um, And so it's bubbling along quite nicely, really.
2: Well, uh, another team that no one wants to play is is Bangladesh, I would say, uh, based on the way they've started the tournament. Brilliant against South Africa. Almost pulled something out of the fire against New Zealand, and that's of course England's third match tomorrow. Uh, just reading some potential team news: Owen Morgan mulling over dropping Rashid and playing a fourth seamer. But, uh, conditions might dictate that. I guess that would mean Plunkett probably coming back into the side. Uh, Rob, what are your thoughts on on that selection if that does come to pass? If Rashid moves aside for a seamer,
1: well, I think it makes sense to, to to play four seamers, but I just given particularly Cardiff's short, straight boundaries. Um, but I, I'm not sure Rashid is the one to go. You know, I guess Moeen, and I love Moeen, I, you know, I, he's a brilliant cricketer in all formats. I think he's a fantastic player. But, you know, if, if they're keeping him in because of his batting, his batting, he's averaging, I think, 15 this year. He hasn't got a half century. I know he bats down the order and has to throw his bat occasionally. But his batting's not not at, at full tilt at the moment. Um, Rashid has got shoulder injuries, so maybe they're just trying to manage him through. But it, I think that's just slightly one for me, a bit of a strange one, in to, to take Rashid out and leave Moeen in. I, I potentially would have been inclined to do
2: it the other way around. It's hard to know with Rashid, isn't it? Because without knowing exactly what's going on with his shoulder, it's hard to know whether he should keep playing. Because my impression is actually he could do with some overs under his belt. He looks a little bit rusty. Um, Pakistan has obviously played him very well so far, this summer and then in that game the other day. But then actually, what, what we don't know, if he ha- is struggling with that shoulder, you obviously don't want that to flare up with such big games to come.
0: Yeah, five overs for 43 the other day, Rashid bowled. Um, Moeen took three for 50 from his 10 and, bow- and bowled nicely. Rashid is the premier spinner though. Uh, and if both were fit, then Rashid is the more effective, more consistent um, and more potent limited over spinner between the two of them. I hope that it is a horses for courses one-off decision and I hope that it's not indicative of anything more serious regarding Rashid's uh, injury situation because if it is an English decision whereby they've just kind of identified the fantasy player and thought, all right, okay, well, he didn't have a good game three days ago, so we're going to drop him, that would be... Incongruous with everything else that Morgan Morgan stood for, and and it would kind of have echoes of previous bungled World Cups and so on and so on. So I'm not going to entertain that thought.
2: Also, particularly the relationship that Morgan and Rashid have had since he's become captain as well. I mean, Rashid says he loves playing under him. Morgan always puts a lot of faith in him, gives him overs at the death. It would seem unlikely that. Just because of one defeat, a couple of expensive spells, you go all the way back on that.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'm 99% sure that it's a, it's a smart and pragmatic move, if it even comes to pass. We don't even know for sure. I think Rob's point as well about the particular dimensions at Cardiff is, is a good one. Injuries aside, we'd all be pretty gutted if, if Rashid doesn't play 85% of the games in this yeah. World Cup. Because yeah. he's been the key man, as we know, the most prolific wicket-taker in world ODI cricket since 2000. Uh, Fifteen, that last World Cup. So, let's hope that it's not any kind of knee-jerk, old-fashioned English reactionism against uh, against a couple of average games.
2: Okay, well, we shall see on that one. Um, right, with no action to pick over in Bristol, we're going to take the opportunity to reflect on the best and the worst of what the World Cup has thrown at us so far. Now, wow. this is going to be fun. Yeah, I think this is better than a than a game. To be yeah, honest. bring so it on. I think it's always better when they don't play anyway. <laughs> Rob, let's start with you. Uh, as we said, you've been to a few games around the country. What, what's the best crowd and atmosphere you've experienced so far on your on your travels? I think so far, quite clearly, it's been at the
0: Oval. Actually, both Bangladesh games at the Oval. The crowds were fantastic, particularly on Sunday
1: when they beat um, South Africa. You know, they were donned out in their Bangladesh flags that had their shirts on there were tigers
2: um, not real tigers obviously fluffy tigers. <laughs> um, floating, that would be an about. atmosphere um, <laughs> that that would have been yeah that would have um livened things up um <laughs>
1: and, and they were just fantastic you know every single um Good shot was cheered every single stop in the field. I think it was Sarkar, actually. I think it was about the third or fourth ball of the game. He played a forward defence to cover and it just dribbled out to cover, but he looked, you know, in control of the shot. And there was a huge roar went up. And, uh, you know, I thought someone'd been out or or he'd nicked it or whatever. And it was just a forward defence and it was just brilliant. I didn't
2: stop all day. (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's brilliant I, yeah I mean from my experience I, the only game I've been in, in the crowd for is that first game England-South Africa which was a brilliant atmosphere exciting thing to be part of but it was noticeable when there was any kind of the, initially when England had that dip at the start when uh, Bairstow was out to his first ball the crowd was completely silent there was, there was, it was suddenly very, very nervy. And you, just, you don't really get that with the subcontinental side to whatever's happening in the game. Their fans seem to be having a great, great time so far. Yeah,
0: and there was equivalence as well when South Africa were batting and there was a lull in proceedings and they were putting partnerships together in those early early stages. But I personally like that. While I, I like the, the kind of the unbreakable din of watching a subcontinent team, uh, especially in London, I also like the kind of the ebb and flow that a crowd can mm. c- when a crowd reflects what's taking place on the pitch as well and you don't really get that in sort of smash uh, crash bang wallop kind of 20 over cricket, but you can still get those kinds of uh, lulls and ebbs and flows and tension moments as well in 50 over cricket. And I like that. I like that. I'd like to offer something different to the Oval, but truth is I haven't seen any cricket outside the Oval. Um, no, we've got
2: Rob for that. And Rob's saying the Oval. So that's absolutely that'll fine. That'll do. All bases that'll covered.
0: I, I am going to Old Trafford next week, though, to see uh, India-Pakistan. So that one well, might, that one might run, run a few things close.
2: That, that my might rival that one for top spot. Um How about just the best overall match we've seen so far? And there have been perhaps more than you might have thought in the opening round of games after a slightly one-sided start. Four games I think went went as you'd expect. Then a couple of shocks. Um, Rob, best match you've you've seen live or on telly? I think there are a lot to a lot to choose from,
1: right? I think yesterday's game Australia West Indies was a good one. I think Uh, um, the one I've seen, though, obviously the, the South Africa game, the Bangladesh one. I just think for Bangladesh that was such a a big game, opening game of the World Cup. You know, I think that, that they're a bit derided, Bangladesh. Um, and, at, and actually, they're a, I think going into the tournament, they've won their win-loss record in the last 12 months was, I think, fourth or fifth best in the world. and they But they're a bit derided, written off. And they turned up and they turned South Africa over in their first game. Such a great state statement. The crowd were right behind them. Great performance. I think that was a really, really good game because South Africa, although in the end it was relatively comprehensive, South Africa were, you know, at stages were really throwing the kitchen sink at Bangladesh. Mm. And they just kept coming back at them. And I think, you know, it was just such a, a, a good game. And just actually at that point, after a couple of a few games I think the first three games were you know okay, but nothing more, and then that one sort of just kicked kicked the tournament into
2: life, really yeah, I felt the same that felt really that that Sunday afternoon was where the tournament really kind of came to life um phil
0: anything top top that one for you that you've seen well well England, Pakistan was a classic that's my, that's my shout as England well, Pakistan so. was an absolute classic, considering what had gone before, considering the context, considering that. England had stuffed them five naught before this tournament. Considering all the hubris and hype around England as well, uh, and Pakistan went out and absolutely smashed three fifty or three four eight, I think it was, and then held their nerve. Uh, I thought it was just a fabulous game of cricket, and it came less than twenty four hours after the the Bangladesh game that you mentioned, and and I think that forty eight hours just absolutely uh, enlivened this World Cup. Really, um, so I would go with that one. Also, Rob mentioned yesterday's game from a purely from a pure enjoyment perspective i loved yesterday's game i thought the quality was excellent yesterday in in the Bangla, in, in the, Pac- not the umpiring, not the not the umpiring, no we'll, we'll gloss over that but I, I think in the pakistan england game it, it was a kind of there was a kind of merry chaos around that game but i thought yesterday i thought it was brilliant i thought it was old fashioned australia the way that they dug themselves out it was inspired innings from a number 8 to get them up to what to what they got to it was an amazing opening spell by stark uh, there was some fabulous batting in the middle, you know, from Hetmyer briefly, Poran briefly, Hope briefly, but they're all three dreamboat batsmen. Uh, all it needed was a real arse snipper at the end. That's that all bit, it, it needed, shame, because it looked it? like it was going to go to the it, it wire. should have
2: done, really, and that's the West Indies... That it wasn't even close, really, in the end. That was the only
0: thing that stopped it being a memorable humdinger of a game. But what was interesting, I was travelling to the Royal Garden Hotel where we did last night's podcast with Mel Jones. And so I didn't see about 45 minutes of the game because I was on the train. Every time I'd, I'd come through at the next station, I'd get a little update. And the BBC kept telling me that West Indies are on course to win. And I'm looking at the score, thinking, hold on, you know, they're four down. They need to overrun a ball. Uh, and it wasn't my reading of it, looking at the score scorecard, but it was one of those games that was, that was nip and tuck, pretty much from the time that Australia started to rebuild. I thought it was just a brilliant game of cricket. Quite significant as well, I think, for the future of the tournament. I think who'd ever have won that one would have put, put themselves very squarely in place for that fourth or third place. Um, as it is, uh, Australia have, have now nailed that spot.
2: Yeah, I, I hope it's not the case, but I do. I felt yesterday that West Indies will go on and win more games, but they might look back on that one as, as the as the time when they they blew it. But I hope I hope that's not the case because I'd love to see them in semi-finals.
0: Now for the fun bit. What about the worst games? The real rubbish well, ones. I think today's probably got got <laughs> a bit hasn't it? Yeah, all right. Let's gloss over the north for north versus north for 0. New Zealand Sri Lanka was was unless
2: you're a Kiwi fan, obviously. I thought especially, so early on in the tournament, what, it was day two? day two? Day two. And you kind of saw it coming as well with Sri Lanka as well. New Zealand win the toss, have a go at a flaky batting order, and before you know it, Sri Lanka are gone, and then New Zealand knock off the runs, and it's just... It's one of those games that you don't want to see too many of in a World Cup because you just know that people are switching off and people start sniping in the background about weaker teams and you don't want too many of them. So it's great that we haven't really had another one since.
0: Yeah, even though that that, that game still threw up the oddness of, a, of carrying one's bat for a 50-over game. Yeah. You know, Karuna, Karuna Ratna, bless him. His job, yeah. Rob, have you seen any stinkers?
1: Uh, no, I was going to pick that Sri Lanka-New Zealand game. I guess the, the West Indies-Pakistan one that I went to, I guess that... You know, if you looked at the scoreboards, uh, you think, "Well, that was a stinker." But actually, the West Indies created a lot of uh, entertainment in that game just by basically every single ball being a bouncer. So it was actually quite an interesting, very short game, but quite a quite an entertaining game while it was uh, while it was on.
0: Yeah, and quite memorable as well for that statement from the West Indies. You know that they. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, go on, go on, Rob.
1: Sorry. Uh, yeah, that's right. I mean, Andre Russell bowled really well, three overs, and I think. 16 out of the 18 balls were short balls and were bouncers. And, um, you know, that was just a statement. Then O'Shane Thomas came on and basically did the same thing. Um, and, you know, it was just a total statement from the West Indies. And I think after the game in the press conference, you know, Jason Holder said, look, we, we're going to come for wickets. We're going to try and take, Take people down with the ball. Um, you know, South Africa said that before the, this um, tournament started, but haven't had the bowlers to be able to back it up. Whereas West Indies have have gotten fit at the moment, so yeah, it's a real big statement. And it was quite funny actually, Andre Russell after the game. Um Tim Wigmore, um, a colleague from The Telegraph, he, um, who, who people will know, he asked whether Andre Russell would put on some pace. And Russell just looked at him and said, I've always been quick. I've always been quick. I'm not medium pace. And he said, you know, when he come, when he sees on the screen that Andre Russell,
2: medium pace, he wants that change. So I think that was a bit of a statement from him as well. So he has Tim Wigmore in his head, motivating him as he's steaming in just to get that extra couple of miles now. hour. Don't, don't we all. <laughs> all right, well, let's now... Dig down into the minutiae of the tournament so far. Um, we've done the big matches. Let's talk about shots, specific shots. Um, Phil, this is very much your area, isn't it? <laughs> so let's, let's start with you. Uh, what's the best shot?
0: And I'm going to ask just for one here. I don't want you to reel off four or five. five. Your five. best shot of the tournament the so far. The best shot that I've seen so far, the, the shot that gave me the most pleasure... Uh, was a Rohit Sharma pull shot against Kagiso Rabada when Rabada was bowling fast and he just got rid of Dewan and he was giving Kohli problems and Sharma was broadly shotless for the first five overs and Rabada screamed one past his outside edge and then pitched one slightly short, only slightly short of a length, on that kind of leg stump line and sharma as he as is his wont he rocks onto the front foot and he never takes a backward step but he just sh- rocks his body back slightly and he rolled his wrists on a kind of short arm flick come pull off his hip with those magical hands and it went for six uh, just wide of long leg i think it would it would have cleared long leg uh, but it was it was just stunning and in that moment and he has a kind of Modest nonchalance as well, Sharma. He's not kind of in your face in the way Coley is, but he knows how good he is. Mm. And after that, the the pressure just shifted completely because all the talk was about how South Africa were fighting for their lives. If they can get one, get two, blah, blah, blah. And just in that one moment, Sharma just said, look, I'm pound for pound the best opening batsman you've ever seen. And it was absolutely beautiful. You know how my feelings about Sharma. I could pick others, but that's my one. I love that, that about Sharma as well, that there's the, kind of, there's the level of containment through the early part of his
2: innings. A little bit like Chris Gale, but it's, kind of, it's a different sort of tone to the whole thing. It's almost like a sort of a middle distance runner who's just kind of going slowly, slow. Like Mo Farah, coming around that final bend, he's right. Like, well, this is the time I'm just going to go past everyone. And Sharma just does that, flicks a switch, and just kind of launches into it. And we, d- we didn't really see that in a kind of sustained spell of hitting against South Africa because it just wasn't required. But I'm sure we will as the tournament goes on.
0: Yeah, and Coley gave him a nice backhand compliment at the end. He said, that's his best innings for India. That's his best because that's the slowest. And he, and he didn't look like he was going to give it away at any point, which is a kind of Coley-esque code yeah. for, you know, you carry on like this boy or you're in trouble. I thought, anyway, that was my shot. That was my moment. Rob, is there a single shot that sticks in the mind? Yeah, what for me was
1: actually uh, Nicholas Poran for the West Indies. Um, Good choice. It was it was against, actually, Pakistan. Uh, he's a great player. He's a great... Um, hits the ball really cleanly. Hits it in strange areas. But, so, you know, the West Indies were cantering towards victory. Mohamed Amir actually rolled quite a decent spell, but they were cantering towards victory. And Poran was, was facing, I think it was Wahab Riyaz. And he... he I think he thought that Riyaz was just going to pitch the ball up. So he he did that... It's like an Owen Morgan thing where he just takes a couple of steps down to try and hit him straight over his head for six. Mm. But Riaz actually saw him and bounced him. So I think Poren found himself quite a long way down the pitch thinking... The ball's coming at my head here. I've got to do something. And he jumped both feet off the ground and pulled it over mid-wicket for six, which, just remarkable, because he was another four or five yards, well, three or four yards down the pitch. And it just sailed into the stand at Trent Bridge. And it was just a remarkable shot. Nobody actually noticed it, alone sinking in the ground, because... Um, the the game was over and they were cantering to, to a victory. But I just couldn't you know, it was both feet off the ground. Smashed it, short ball, Riaz was bowling quite quick. It's just a fantastic bit of improvisation. But then to still get the power is
2: fantastic. And he played a few that could rival that in his in his kind of cameo against Australia as well. I feel like we could maybe do a kind of a selection of poor end shots. By I, I imagine tournament. we probably will before yeah. the tournament's done,
0: Joe. <laughs> And what's, um, what's yours then?
2: So mine uh, was from the England Pakistan game. Uh, Mohamed Hafeez, uh, who hadn't been in great touch leading into the tournament, I wasn't sure he had an innings like that in him. Um, he obviously got the let off from Jason Roy. Should have caught that one easily at, at long off or uh, mid off. It was against Mark Woods, who bowled a brilliant spell. Pakistan really struggled to get him away, unlike the rest of England's attack. Uh, and there was a it was it was on his legs, kind of drifting towards a leg stump. Hafeez just kind of glanced it. And it just flew into the stands. I mean, there was no. He didn't. It was kind of like in a test match. You expected just to tuck it into the leg side for a single, but it just absolutely flew. Obviously, easing the pace of of Mark Wood. It was a really. Classy shot in a class innings from a very classy player who showed that he's still
0: got a bit to give at international level. Yeah, and the best moustache in the tournament so far as well. well I would quite say quite a few rivals to that as well. Actually, but. My, my mate Greg has uh, WhatsApped on the back of that shot. He says "I've just seen one of the greatest shots of all time." So <laughs> you're, you're in good company there, <laughs> okay. Joe. By contrast, let's let's talk about some of the worst shots uh, we've seen. Phil, can I come to you? Well, there's loads. I'm, I've got two for you, and I'll be brief. Glenn Maxwell yesterday against Cottrell. Yeah try to smack him out of the ground second ball when they're, what, 50-odd for two or 40 for two or 40 for three or whatever it was. Um, pure hubris. Four, I, I think, weren't right. they? Were they four down already? I think so. No, I think they were three down because Stoinis took them five. Down. Okay, but anyway, yeah, Maxwell, you know, he's great fun, and for, yeah, we're fond of him, regardless of his, of his of which country he plays for and all of that. He's brilliant fan as a cricketer but that was over the top. I thought Mel Jones mentioned it last night and said, you know, I hope that's the moment that when the penny drops, like and, moment, yeah, and not everything's just a club game where you can just open your front leg and smash you over mid-wicket so that was shocking Um, Jason Roy's sweep against Shadab as well in the first over um, on the back of that dropped catch that you referenced Roy wasn't happy that day he wasn't wasn't really at the races uh, and he played all round an attempted sweep shot to a to a Yorker, really, and was was LB. I think he might have even reviewed it as well. He did. Yeah. He did review he it. Did. Oh, that. Just compounds it. Yeah. Um, that that was an inauspicious shot. There's loads and loads and loads. It's always good fun, but I'm going to leave it just on those two. Well, I'll throw another one from the
2: Australia West Indies game in there, which was Andre Russell, uh, who just couldn't help himself, and it is he's obviously doing it to every other ball in the IPL, and that is his strength. And you know, you've got to play the play the way that suits you. But there are times, and this was one of them, where <laughs> just get your head down a little bit. And really, they they could have cantered home from there with him at the crease. I can't remember who he was batting with at that point. Would it, would it I have think been it was Holder, yeah. yeah. It would have been Holder. who was batting beautifully in a very controlled manner. Just need Russell to either block or hit the balls that were there to hit. And that wasn't really one to hit. With Russell, I don't know, you're talking about the light bulb moment for Glenn Maxwell. Is that a light bulb moment for Andrew Russell? I suspect probably not. No, no not be... unless Tim
0: Wigmore gets in his ear. That's and it, a and it is
2: tough because that that is the way he plays and if it pulled it off we'd all be going what an incredible player who does that to his fourth or fifth ball or whatever it was. Um, so obviously it, it, you can't have it both ways but that did seem one occasion in what could prove to be a very big game as we've discussed where his head got the better from there. Rob, uh, uh, another, uh, we're looking for another stinker. Well, I, I was going to pick Maxwell actually but something to rival it and it,
1: it actually didn't turn out to be um, costly side the game but Colin de Gronholm against Bangladesh the other night but uh, Bangladesh were on the hunt for wickets. New Zealand had lost a couple. they just lost Williamson. We're having a wobble. Slow ball bounce. So he's tried to ramp the ball over the wicketkeeper, but he's actually not even managed to get it over the shortest wicketkeeper, Meshvika Raheem, in the competition, probably the world, playing cricket. And it just poodled through to uh, Raheem, who still had to jump but caught it quite comfortably. And just execution, you know, time to play that shot. That ball, slow ball bounce. It wasn't the ball. Um, they got out. Then um, Jimmy Nisham was out. Four balls later, and New Zealand uh, losing the plot. They they recovered just about. But yeah, that was a that was a
2: very strange and particularly poor shot. Yeah, as you say, New Zealand did lose the plot briefly there, to the extent where they could have very easily lost the game. And. De home we discussed this briefly after the game, he, he's not one of those players he can hit a mean cricket ball. I think he's got one of the highest strike rates in T20 cricket in the world, if not still the highest. But I don't really back him in a kind of pressure cooker situation. To, to in a small, I'd almost back him more if the run rate was higher, but he didn't really quite know whether to stick or twist and ended up playing a kind of, as you say, a very unusual,
0: poorly thought-through shot. He doesn't strike. He was the most studious um, or cerebral of cricketers, does he? No, no, I think that's probably fair. Let's it's just a polite way of saying he's stupid isn't it we might be absolutely think, the opposite I think we've got that let's
2: look at some of the, the best spells in the tournament Rob gonna, I'm going to come back to you initially What what's the best spell you've seen so far so
1: I, I think we, we've spoken about it but that Andre Russell won at, at Trent Bridge just because, you know, he, he rocked up and, and bowled 16 short balls, which um, really put the jitters up Pakistan. Uh, I think he picked up two wickets. He was bowling seriously quick, that you know, that, that little spell. Um, I think he, only, he could only bowl three overs and then his knee was shot. He actually just walked off more or less after that. Mm. Um, but, yeah, just all brooding aggression really ran in hard and you know again set the tone for that game and for for his for his tournament start to the tournament but I think also you know Mitchell Stark's spell yesterday particularly towards the end I mean that's what Mitchell Stark does right he he rolls up at the end of the innings and he bowls 90 mile an hour Yorkers and he just runs through low orders and and that was I think after a spell wearing ball cricket he's not he, he's been a bit up and down over the last year I think in white ball cricket but you know that's what he did so successfully in the 2015 World Cup and he just you know he absolutely nailed it yesterday I thought that was just such a brilliant I think he only bowled maybe one over maybe two overs in the
2: final spell and uh, you know just I thought that was that was exhilarating as well yeah that was his first five wicket haul since the last World Cup I believe so he's obviously kind of is that timed, right yeah timed his, timed his run well Phil spell that's had you on the edge of, of your seat <laughs> do you remember Jaffer Archer yeah, God, that's that.
0: This tournament, I thought it was the last World Cup. Yeah, like Joffer jo eight days ago uh, for 20 minutes against South Africa was yeah. was scintillating. Mohammed Nabi as well, the th- three wickets in an over. Yeah, that's the best. All right, it, they didn't win that game in the end, or, and they were kicking themselves that they didn't. But Sri Lanka were running away with that one, and then then Mo Nabi, as old as the hills, comes on, rolls his arm, doesn't turn. And he gets rid of the opener, Karuna Ratney, and then Kushal. And then Kushal Mendes' second ball, caught yeah. a slip. And then and then Matthew. So it's a pretty serious the, three. It's big three, you'd say. On yeah. Side. Uh, just with a with a couple of runs in the middle there. So that was a beauty of a spell. So so and I've got the others as well. I've got Russell and Stark the standouts, really. Um I'm gonna throw a worse spell at you, which is a bit mean spirited because he was absolutely brilliant yesterday,
2: but Nathan caught the Nile, who uh, fact ended up ultimately winning Australia the game with that innings he played in, in as well as no. steve smith's kind of uh foundation um bringing knock, but it was his one-over spell right at the end, where the game was gone, and then he got he gets pumped for four consecutive boundaries by Ashley Nurse, which he was obviously deservedly still Player of the
0: Match, but <laughs> you felt like it took some of the kind of sheen off that performance, really. Yeah, you're a hard taskmaster, Joey. I mean, he's played the innings of his life <laughs> and and revitalised Australia's campaign. Um, I do hear what you're saying. He's also the most handsome cricketer in the tournament, I think. For me, Nathan Coulthard. What do you think, Rob? Here's the big question most handsome cricketer so far? Yeah.
1: Don't think you could go too wrong with him. I think Josh Butler. Josh Butler for me, to be honest. Yeah, um, lovely.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mahedi Hassan's got a certain charm as well. Yeah,
0: yeah. This is not a
2: category that we've planned, is it? No, it's not. We also can't do the worst because that would just be plain mean. (laughs) So uh, that would be fun. We'll do that (laughs) after the show. We're going to wrap up pretty soon here. Let's finish with this. Was your idea, Phil? Excuse best and worst excuse. Have you actually? I've got actually. Sorry, I've got one. Can okay, I well, one? fire away then. Fire I've away. got my best excuse. Um, so, news broke a couple of days ago, I think it was George DeBell at uh, ESPN Info that A.B. de Villiers had offered, literally, pretty much at the last minute, that he would join South Africa's World Cup squad. Yep. Uh, that offer was declined, uh, and that's obviously caused a bit of uproar amongst South African fans who have seen a very shoddy performance so far from their side. But I have to say, I'm not saying they handled it well, previously but in this instance this specific instance I don't think they had any choice but to say no I mean they'd have had to tell a player who was already penciled in penned in for that squad that he was no longer part of it um, and then what does that do for for team spirit team morale so they've handled him poorly as we discussed with Neil Manthorpe a few days ago but when it came down to that last-minute decision, I think their excuse for not picking in was, was pretty valid. How do you see that, Rob?
1: Yeah, I think I think it's spot-on, actually. I think, uh, you know, AB de could have played for South Africa in the year before this tournament, and I think um, you know, I, I understand that there's been this workload issue with with A B and he's wanted you know, he's taken time off in the in the past. He's obviously just played um the IPL. So, you know, there's no reason really he couldn't have played for South Africa if he wanted to play the World Cup. So I think they did the right thing and um yeah, I mean it would have just been very harsh on on someone who was dropped for him, but at the same time, you know, it is a big call because he's such a good player and seeing the way they batted in this tournament, you know, he would have made a big difference. But I think
0: it the right call and, and exactly the the right way that um, they've handled it. Yeah, 100%. I haven't read too much around this. Obviously, I've seen the headlines. But um, if he has turned around in the last 48 hours and put his hand up and said, I'll, I'll jump on a plane to London if you need me, I think that's a bit cheap. Mm. That's yeah. my personal feeling.
2: Okay, well, agreement. Um, okay,
0: lovely. Phil, you,
2: you had a, a bad excuse.
0: Well, I, I just thought it was unnecessary that after the game against Pakistan, England, uh, having lost fair and square... Joe Joe Root refused just to uh, flatten down the question regarding potential manipulation of the cricket ball by throwing it into the turf by Pakistan, and he said quite pointedly, "I'll get into trouble if I say what I think, so I'm not going to." Which is a classic politician's way of saying mm-hmm. I'm saying something without saying something, and I thought that was unnecessary, and I thought that was a bit that was a bit churlish, to be honest, and it was. It was uncalled for at that time. It, the, the umpire Erasmus had spoken to England when they were in the field and spoken to Pakistan when they were in the field. Both teams were trying to use the abrasive surface around around the, the main strip to try and get that ball a little bit more scuffed up to see what they can do. Umpires are managing these situations. Um, it was nothing more than a little bit of gamesmanship at worst on both sides. I thought that was a little bit limp, really, at the end of that game. But my favourite excuse, and this is not actually from a player, this is from a pundit, Shahab Akhtar, after Pakistan got stuffed in the first game, blamed Safraz Ahmed's jowls for their defeat. (laughs) He, he said, I've got the quote here. When Sarfraz came for the toss, his stomach was sticking out and his face was so fat. <laughs> so, this is Shoah Akhtar, who's, who's, had, who's had some troubles with the bulge himself over the years. But anyway, that, this is his excuse <laughs> for bulge Pakistan. To. This, yeah, all right. Okay. This is, this is his excuse, his reasoning for Pakistan's shoddy first performance. Um, so, yeah, Sarfraz, whatever you're eating, go for it because they were absolutely irresistible against England. <laughs> Rob. Um, I don't know. You follow that?
2: Um, <laughs> any any good, bad, or ridiculous excuses? I thought. Yeah, I don't know how to follow that actually. Um, <laughs> I
1: thought the the, uh, the Sri Lanka before the um, their first game at Cardiff. They trained a couple of days before the game, saw the green pitch, but thought that it would be shaved off. They spent the next two days. You know, facing bouncers in the nets. I think they had a, a specific little um, um, instrument made so that the ball would zip off a bit higher. And then when they turned up, lo and behold, the pitch was still green. New Zealand just floated up and 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 rolled them over. So I think you know that excuse for just totally not understanding the conditions and preparing sure. for a totally different game. I thought was uh, was quite interesting. I don't think they'll make that mistake again.
2: You'd hope not. Well, I think that's a, a good place to wrap it up. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today, Rob. No
1: worries, guys. Thanks for having me.
2: And thanks, Phil. Sorry, I was about to forget you. Sorry, right, mate. <laughs> I'm just here, aren't I? I'm just yeah. on your shoulder forever. presence in my living room. <laughs> Tomorrow, I'll be joined by Paul Ford, the Wisdom Cricket Monthly New Zealand correspondent and co-founder of the Beige Brigade, the Kiwi supporters group, to talk about the Black Caps' third match of the tournament against Afghanistan at Taunton. Uh, can Kane Williams decide keep up their 100% record? And on a busy day with another double header, we'll of course be chatting about England's encounter with Bangladesh as the hosts look to get back on track after that defeat to Pakistan. This has been the Wisden Cricket Daily Podcast in partnership with Travel Bag, creating holidays packed full of memories since 1979. Thanks for joining us and don't forget to subscribe on the podcast app or Spotify.
1: Podcast Network.